all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? straightforward one. Yeah, I'm Rachel. right into it. I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Follow us, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, at AllBadThingsPod, AllBadThingsPod at gmail.com. Which is your number one source for suggestions. Yes. Yes, that's the easiest because it's searchable and retainable. Yes. Um, rate, review, rescribe if you want. If you want to give us one star, we don't like you. <laughs> Or two stars. We don't really like that Yeah, either. no. Anyone with, quote, constructive criticism, unquote, can just email us and feel free to leave feedback that way instead of reviewing us poorly. We do do this for free, and we have never fucking claimed we are professionals. End of story. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't really get bothered by the um, reviews. But the, the one yesterday, I was just kind of like, because the guy was like, well, this and this, like... To that guy, if you are you are listening, <laughs> or that person, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, I am not an aviation expert. <laughs> My assumption uh. would, uh, if a plane was traveling at cruising altitude, which I'm pretty sure is 30,000 30, feet, feet. That's pretty standard. And both of their engines went out. I didn't necessarily mean that they would sink like a stone, but I don't see that they would glide all that long glide either. Glide beautifully. I think they nosedive, do they not? <laughs> I, that would be my or guess. flip. But then again, yeah. I'm, I'm not an aviation expert. Well, there you go. So to the guy that is, I apologize, but I don't really. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah. And uh, with all your myriad suggestions, if you think you can do better. Do it. Go prove for it. it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know how many people are making money doing this. Not many is the answer. And us, zero. We are losing money. I was going to say it actually costs us money. Yes. But, that's, but fine. that's fine. We enjoy it. This mm-hmm. is our hobby. That's the whole point. Don't shit on our hobby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so last week was fun. It was. We got to do a miracle. So nobody died. We got to make fun of Tom Hanks. Yes. Saying that he would be the uh, he would be well cast as BTK, <laughs> which is yes, pretty funny. Absolutely. Um, I mean, he's just that's all he does is play people who were alive and, or are and, still alive and good people like heroes. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Uh huh. So it'd be pretty funny. I still to, haven't gotten in touch with his son. That to, to <laughs> Colin. Pitch that. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> I, I don't I I don't know if Tom Hanks is on Twitter. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I would have ran ran into a tweet of his by now. I'm Probably, sure. Probably unless he keeps. Out of like, he probably doesn't care. He's like, I make twenty million dollars a movie. He's like, I have for like the past twenty years. He's yeah. like, what do I need to be on Twitter for? Yeah, that's that's probably it. <laughs> so. uh, then again, like literally, the president of the United States can't do anything except tweets. That's true. So, but he's not half as successful as Tom Hanks. That's true. What are we drinking tonight? We're both drinking the same thing. We are. We are having a Birdsong Brewery. And it is a oatmeal and oatmeal raisin, raisin stout. stout. I think is... it's a stout. Uh, porter, sorry. Oh, Imperial porter. oatmeal and raisin porter. It, I don't taste oatmeal or raisin. I really don't either. It tastes like chocolate. <laughs> but to it's me. a good It is stout. good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the name of the beer is Rich Girl. Because they like to name their being birdsong brewing. 
they like to name their uh, beers after songs like Fake Plastic Trees. Mm-hmm. And they have a couple Radiohead songs. They have. They? they also have a beer called Paranoid Android. Oh, yes. And Paradise City mm-hmm. is another one. So, yes. They're a fun brewery. They're one of my... She's a rich girl. <laughs> going too far, but you know You can rely on the old man's money. You can rely on the old man's money. It's a bitch girl. <laughs> We just wanted to get to that line. Yeah, that's the most fun song. <laughs> so this is a heavy one too. It is an imperial. It is it's like eight something. It's eight and a half percent. Oh, there we go. So let's and, so let's see how we hang in by the end of this. Well, episode. here's the problem. We're gonna need it. Oh, okay. This. Oh, you did you did mention that earlier today. You said this was a brutal one. So back to it. No, no more no more miracle sodes for a while, people. No, this is this is bad. Okay. This is um. Is it famous? So I had never heard of it. Okay. But then again, somebody called me out on Twitter saying, "I can't believe you had never heard about the Black Saturday bushfires before you did it. it never, covered them." I'm like, "Well, to either. be fair, Until like we did it. I have no more additional knowledge of disasters than anybody else. We're not experts, people. We're literally just a couple people with a morbid sense of humor." And a microphone. That's all you have to do to podcast. Legit. Oh, and also pay for the hosting and stuff. So, obviously. <laughs> but um, I had never heard of this. But our listener, Masha, our friend from Germany, did. And offered to do the research on it. So, I was like, For the third yes. time? This is like the third or fourth I think one? this is our second. Second? I could swear we've done two before. Mm. Anyway, oh, I'm anyway. sorry, Masha, if I'm not giving you credit for her. I she has like done just, she multiple. Did, oh, you know what? She did Wrong Holt. Mm-hmm. And I, I there was think another you might one. be right that she did one before that. Oh. Or are we re- a thousand years old? Re- we can't remember. Re- reach out to us, Masha, to tell us. <laughs> tell and us she what will. Episode. She's good at being in touch. Um, but main thing she did all the research for this which yes. is awesome always and it has, always a huge thank you oh so helpful because i have been painting my office my new office that i'm moving into and not just painting but like painting houndstooth patterns so of course everything has to be as difficult as possible for myself so my time's been kind of used up so it was really helpful to be able to just rely on masha for this one so your time has kind of been used up <laughs> Cute. Thank you. <laughs> um, Channeling my inner wire rose. Oh, oh, how, how you didn't catch on to. Oh, no, I did not. <laughs> Johnny, David. Anyway, um, Shit's Creek. If you haven't watched it, you must. It is the most. It's delightful worth it thing just ever. for uh, Catherine O'Hara. She is brilliant. Yeah, she's hysterical in that show. She's the best. She she is the best part of that. Better show. than all the rest. Yes. Yeah. Better than Simply anyone. Yeah. Yes. And, and they, that's another Shit's Creek reference. Yeah. And it's a horrible cover of a terrible song. So. It was sweet. <laughs> it was very sweet. Anyway. So, I, yeah. I had not heard of this disaster. This is a very European disaster with German ties, which is, I think, why Masha Oh, was so we're doing World interested. War II. <laughs> Sorry. What, what were you saying? No crimes. Nah. So this. Is it a crime to go to war? I think so. Yeah, it should be. Well, I mean, not in defense per se, but still, like, we are not a war history podcast. No. Even though, never mind, I'm not going to bring up bad reviews again. It's just getting boring. Let's so, let's dive in, shall we? Yeah, and it's a long one, too, unfortunately. So this is the story 
of Los Alfaques. What'd you call me? I know. If you look at it, it looks like Los Alfaques, if you were to pronounce it like in English, but Q U in Spanish is pronounced que. Que. Like, um, mm-hmm. or Q U E is porque, yeah, because. Um, so if I said Los Alfaques, that would be like saying que. Instead of K. I don't even so, know what we're talking about. What is the anyway, name of this again? Los Alfalque. Alfalques. <laughs> A-L-F-A-Q-U-E-S. Okay. okay. All right. Oh, this is the last time we're going to smile this whole podcast. Oh, way, okay. Yeah. I'll on, try to hold it as long as I can. Oh, yeah. On July 11th, 1978, a tanker filled with propylene. Ooh. Exploded. Just gonna say, I can already see where this is going. To a campsite on the east coast of Spain, killing 217 people and injuring hundreds more. Holy shit. This is so bad. This is so bad. You warned me earlier about the eyewitness accounts, so. Yeah, Masha was very good at putting a lot of eyewitness accounts into it. I can see where this is going. But they're not good eyewitness Mm -mm. accounts. Yeah. So. Major props to Masha. This is good research. So, so helpful. Plus, also, um, just the fact that, like, and Masha's not the only one, but uh, listeners who have offered their expertise, like Alex, our friendly lawyer, Mm -hmm. neighborhood lawyer, and who I believe has achieved assistant district attorney status in Chicago. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Yeah. Way to go, Alex. Um... And because she showed like her business card on Twitter. It was really cool. Yeah. Why do we have smart people listen to us? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. We have authors, assistant assistant district attorney generals. Yeah. And and just cool people. What is she again? Assistant. Assistant district attorney. Assistant Mm -hmm. district attorney. That's a lot of S's. Assistant district attorney. Yes, it is. Wow. Especially after a name. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And... Also, listeners from other countries have offered like translation help and expertise in like uh, our listener Elena was like, hey, if you ever need to know Greek pronunciation, I can I can help you out with that and stuff like that. And so that is really appreciated. Um, and not just people who go through like the entire research, all information is really helpful and all help is helpful. <laughs> But um, all help was helpful. Yes, this episode obviously we're especially this, shouting out Masha because this, this is amazing. Sounds terrible. It, it is terrible, and she—I had never heard of it, and she did a great job covering it. So, um, Masha asked me, and I'm going to uh, to give a, a trigger warning, an extra trigger warning for googling this disaster. So, fair warning: if you Google this disaster. Um, or even the campsite, really, which is still around, and we'll get to that, you will find some really disturbing images on this. And I am going to show you a series of success, uh, like increasingly disturbing images, and you can tap out at any point. Sure. Okay. I probably will. <laughs> yeah. In, in Masha's own words, quote, these are some of the most horrifying images of burn victims ever. Oh, End quote. Jesus. Now, I did not okay. put the live pictures of live victims just those who had died anyway um i and and i concur with masha this is pretty strong stuff and masha also compares very rightly the pictures of the 
some of the dead as similar to those petrified at Pompeii, but worse. She's not wrong about that. So if you aren't someone who can stomach some strong visuals, like I don't recommend Googling this or just make sure you don't look at any of the images or whatever. And stop listening. (laughs) That too. Also, Masha lists the caveat that there were conflicting reports of this disaster in certain details uh, based on the sources, and that includes the number of dead and injured, which we'll get to. It's a small discrepancy, but still. <clears throat> so, so this disaster took place at a campsite, right? Now, we're not talking like just uh, tents sort of a place there were also a couple of apartment buildings apparently or are so that people could and cabins i believe so that people could rent places as well as like literally pitch tents or bring their rvs or whatever or caravans as i believe they're known in europe is Uh, what like rvs are known as yeah so in spite of the fact that i will never go camping as we have established personally (laughs) only dress like you're going camping yes exactly i love to dress like i'm going camping never want to camp um i'm not going to make any further jokes about that but anyway at the time of this disaster the campsite was called los alfaques though it is currently known as camping alfax okay uh so it's just a slightly different name It was originally opened in 1956 and is located on the northeast coast of Spain in the municipality of Alcanar in the province of Tarragona. Ooh, did you like my rolled R? Very nice. Gracias. Uh, It's about 190 kilometers or 118 miles south down the coast of Spain from Barcelona. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, in Catalan... Uh, And in Spanish, like Castilian Spain, uh, or Spanish, uh, the sound is pronounced as a Like, apparently it's actually Ibiza, not Ibiza, like people sing about. Anyway. So, (laughs) Barcelona is relatively close to the border between Spain and France. So, but on the east side. So if you keep going down, (laughs) I always think of Spain and Portugal as the guy with the face. Right? Oh, sure. Yeah. So if you go down the back of his head, okay. <laughs> that's kind of where, where and, this and, is. And Barcelona, just a little small village, not, not a very relevant city. Oh, no. Not like they all. ever hosted the Olympics or anything. No. Do you remember the Barcelona? The, like, the whole uh, Olympic theme? I don't really watch the Summer Olympics. The Summer Olympics, to mm. me, is boring. Mm. Um, I mean, they're, they're amazing athletes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but... All they can do, like like the track field, track and field stuff, which I part partook in in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the easy bake is done. Oh yeah, that's what, <laughs> that is what it sounds like, isn't it? But um, it's impressive and stuff. But it's like okay, there are people that can just run really fast. Well, again, you know, and I- it's just like like at the Winter Olympics, people can die. You can die downhill skiing. It happens pretty much every Olympics. You could get an aneurysm and die in track and field. But that's not as exciting as, you know, crashing on a mountain and going right into I don't want to watch anybody die. Well, I don't want to watch it either, but it's more exciting than... <laughs> it's all I'm saying. At any rate, Barcelona... Ping, ping pong or table tennis yes. is fun to watch, though. Okay. Really? It's just like... Mm, no, mm, these guys mm. are amazing. It, no, it is oh, awesome. Oh, no, I've, I've seen it... And it's, but it's just you're watching back and forth and back. It goes so fast, you can't tell what's going on. True. Yeah. Barcelona. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) 
So the campsite is due almost directly east from Madrid. So Madrid is essentially like pretty much dead center in Spain. And if you travel all the way to the east coast from there, that's roughly where the campsite is. Definitely want to go there one day. Oh, yeah. Spain is on our list. Yes. We even talked about doing that for our honeymoon. So, yeah. That is true. Mm-hmm. Madrid is where I'd want to go over Barcelona, though. Barcelona, but Barcelona is on the Mediterranean. That's true. It's just but Madrid looks much nicer. I don't know. Huh? Either way. I, I will go anywhere in Spain. Let's go to Spain. <laughs> Here we go. Let's, let's go to the mall today. <laughs> and, of course, Masha did a fabulous history corner of Spain for this time period. So, let's get into that. In 1936, there was a coup d'etat mm-hmm. of right-wing putschists in Spain. Or maybe it's putschists. I can't remember how it's pronounced, but but yeah. I I've literally never about. heard that word. Never... I had to look it up. It's German. Uh, yeah. And it, it means to push. Oh. <laughs> it's just people trying to push other people out of government, basically, like a military coup. Like a coup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So at any rate, this coup... Like an impeachment coup, which is an <laughs> Which is oxymoron. not a thing, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, Mr. One Star said that we, uh, oh, yeah, that's we right. got we do too get... political, so. Sorry, Mr. One Star. So fuck you and sorry about that. <laughs> um, so this coup was met with resistance, as could be predicted, and so began the Spanish Civil War. Uh, yeah, which... I, yeah, I know very little about Same this, here. but I, I, I just know here. that it happened for the most part. Well, it was happening during the run-up yes. of it kind of gets World lost in the shuffle. Yeah, at least for those who yeah. don't know Spanish not, history. Not yeah. to the people who were living there. Obviously not. For the rest of the world, they were kind of paying attention to other things. Right. So the Civil War was taking place between the elected government and the resist... Well, the the coup... The cooers. Resistance. <laughs> the or the or the separatists. Yes. Now they were they called themselves nationalists. Okay, and where we that were works too. For. Um, and that is what one Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister, called the resistance, called the coup party people. The coup party people. <laughs> coup party people. That sounds like a good band name. It coup is. Party people. Yes, I'm going to claim it. Okay. Now these nationalists did win the war. Three years later, which was 1939, which was when shit was really going was down in was, Europe. Yeah. Uh-huh. And in 1939, nationalist leader General Francisco Franco became the head of the state. And I have a picture. So we're going to start with very benign pictures. Here's just a picture of Franco. Oh, yeah. He kind of looks like a Nazi. He does a little bit. Yeah. Maybe oh, well. just everybody. Maybe everybody in Europe was a Nazi. Well, maybe because they just looked like average people, and so therefore everyone looked like a Nazi. So Sorry, anyway. but that was that was a. I did not mean to bash everybody in Europe as a Nazi. That 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 came out that came out completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love our European friends. We do yes. not think you are Nazis. No, we have more Nazis here. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That's the sad thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. So Francisco Franco was kind of a bad thing actually he was a very bad thing so. well he, his name is like an alliteration almost you know Francisco so, Franco. those are exactly those are always the worst people oh if he had a middle name that was also an f then this guy would have been worse than hitler <laughs> i don't i didn't catch what his middle name was um so he was a dictator right he reigned in dictatorship and thousands of people died under his reign through forced labor, direct execution, or via concentration camp. 
That happens in a dictatorship? It's shocking, I know. Yeah, you would think that fascism is just wonderful. It's beautiful. It's tremendous. (laughs) It's beautiful, beautiful fascism. Wow. (laughs) So the estimated number of dead in Spain as a result of uh, Franco's reign during this time, and as with most mass casualty instances, especially in the scope of World War II, the, the... estimations vary widely right sure uh but it's well be- i mean you can never but it's between fifty-eight thousand and four hundred thousand people in <laughs> yeah. spain in spain just in spain we know millions died in world war ii especially um in at the hand of the nazis but. tens of millions yes well again we it's don't know just, for sure because no. it was just too many mm-hmm. right so and all this while spain was officially neutral in world war ii that's true yes yeah. they were um they did not join the axis powers but it was pretty clear which side they were really on i think they were i think they were uh lobbying for that for that role <laughs> they were essentially yeah, yeah they were essentially supporting the fascist regimes yeah regime they're like if this breaks the right way we're gonna we're gonna join them mm-hmm. but it did not break the right way fortunately yeah yeah seriously uh so after world war ii the United Nations ordered a diplomatic boycott of Spain, which is interesting. I, I never knew I this. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So as you can imagine, this left Spain really isolated sure. from the rest of Europe, not to mention the rest of the world. And that especially, well, that negatively impacted the citizens, obviously, but also the economy. The economy oh, absolutely. really tanked. It was, it was bad. And so there was like a really bad decade following um, World War II in Spain. And remember, they had been through an entire civil war prior to World War II, so they had basically been at war for like a decade and then followed by an entire other decade. So a full-blown generation of just bleakness and bad stuff in Spain here. Now, in 1953, Spain and the United States signed the Pact of Madrid, which resulted in substantial military aid to Spain and in Spain from the U.S., and that kind of helped started to pull Spain from its isolation more into the mainstream, right, of diplomacy, because the U.S. had been... In- well, I mean, at, at this point, um, <clears throat> the only countries in the world that are doing anything, really, are the United States and the Soviet Union. So, those are kind of the two so, superpowers So if you're world, backed yeah. by either one of those, things, right. are, lo- things are looking pretty good. Well, at the things very are, least, things are not, looking things are looking better. At the very least, you're not isolated anymore. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's a powerful ally, one way or the other. Yeah. So, because the U.S. had been an allied country during World War II, reaching out to a country that had basically been an Axis power—I mean, they were quote neutral—but you know, this pact was very impactful. <laughs> oh, I even wrote that in. The same year, 1953, Spain entered into a concordat with the Vatican. So I had to look that up. And a concordat is basically like a pact or an agreement, but specifically between like the Roman Catholic Church. That's kind of what I figured. And a country. That makes sense. The the sort of, um, from what I could gather, like the jurisdiction, the quote state portion of the Catholic Church is called the Holy See, S-E-E. So that was kind of what, entered into this pact with Spain. It's weird. I I literally wrote, it's weird. 
Catholicism is weird. I was just going to say, it, it's weird is generally followed by the word Catholic. <laughs> There's a lot of weird things in this world, man, but Catholicism is one of the It's things. strange, yeah. at best. Not as much as Mormonism, no. but it's up there. The Concordat of 1953 was basically like a level of Spain sort of ceding to the Catholic Church, like allowing sure. for a certain amount of infiltration from sure. the Catholic Church on the state level. So, well, there, there's uh, there's also international influence. Yes. Oh, absolutely. With the Catholic Church as so, well. So, exactly. Yeah. So that plus the U.S. So, so they'll they'll capitulate a little bit to to both. Right to gain if an it, ally. If it, if it if it means they get a leg up out of it. Exactly. So Spain basically gained a couple of really powerful allies. So it helped Spain get cred right with the UN. And so well, it helped it was, them get off their feet, essentially. Yes. It, in 1955, Spain was officially allowed to join the UN, the yeah. United Nations. So the Spanish economy was still teetering on collapse. And the citizens of Spain were increasingly and very understandably protesting the, dis- the dictatorship of Franco. So Franco kind of backed off from his, like, a little bit. Okay. Little bit I was going to say, that's From his, hey, I'm the dictator here. And he sort of shifted from a totalitarian state to a limited pluralism. So like, uh, oh, that's a new one. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna be, we're gonna kind of be a little bit more quote free, but we're gonna keep an eye on the nice little keep keep our eye close on this whole situation. He replaced almost all government officials with technocrats. Okay. And began liberal liberalizing the economy. Not, we're not going full-blown capitalism here, but um, with the support of conservative elites. Basically, elites popped up many times when looking at this period of history. Sure. Which, Usually oh, they does. They pop up at every time in yeah. history, yes. So even so, even though Franco really like went from full-blown, like, I'm my own version of Hitler, to, okay, I'll start to give up a little bit of ground... It still took a while for the economy to respond. It always does after a bad recession or crash or whatever the case may be. But it finally did in the 60s. And that's when the residents of Spain actually started seeing noticeable improvements to their day-to-day lives, right? Now, Spanish citizens still didn't have any democratic rights or power. You know, it's not like they were having free elections or anything like that. And that's obviously a big problem. It's not like they were living in a democracy, but their day-to-day lives were kind of okay. Like, they were starting to reach a much better level. Well, it's like, they're probably thinking, well, this is better than how it used to be. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's, 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 uh, it's progress, as our uh, Canadian friends would say. Exactly. So, at the very least, things were better than they had been before. And this period of time was known as the Spanish Miracle. because. Okay. Things had been so shitty for like 20 well, years. Sure, yeah. And then started to improve. In 1975, Francisco Franco finally kicked the bucket. And in 1977, the year of our David, <laughs> uh, just one year before this disaster, Spain held its first democratic election in decades. Okay. <clears throat> so literally right a year before this all happened... Spain is starting is, to turn a corner demo- a little bit uh, on becoming democracy. a democracy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about... See, that's what you get with democracy. You get boats <laughs> exploding on campsites. You get what exploding? Boats exploding on campsites. It was a boat, was it? A, a ship? What did you say it was? <laughs> I said a t- 
tank, an oil tanker, well, like yeah, a tractor a trailer. Oh, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking. I was thinking a tanker to me is an oil tanker on the tanker boat. Yeah, because you grew up on the St. Lawrence. No, I'm I'm thinking like, you know, the big round things that go in the backs of trucks. That is a tractor trailer. It is a tractor tractor trailer, but it's a tanker. It's an oil tanker. No, an oil tanker is is what goes in the water. It can be either. (laughs) That's what I thought you were saying. No. Okay. No. Oh, no. Sorry. No, this is a a road vehicle. And I'm also thinking camping. When when I grew up camping, we always camped on the water. You know, people had Well, this is on the coast, too. Yeah. It is on okay. on the beach, so. New but revelations. But no, sorry, it's not a boat of any type. Okay. It has wheels. Okay. Many wheels. Sure, eighteen of them. Probably. Mm-hmm. So. So now that we get that out of the way. <laughs> That's an important detail. I'll bet it is. So one of the mainstays of Spain's economy during this period of the Spanish miracle was a steady increase in tourism. As we've said, like we want to go to Spain. Oh, it's yeah. a cool place, Definitely. right? The majority of tourists came from Western and Northern Europe, so they're coming from a colder, cloudier climate to enjoy Spain's climate. So for those of us in the States, I was trying to like figure out what is most of Spain really like, as far as like if you were to try to compare it oh, to Oh, it was the, like a climate? Yeah, to, to the States, because mm-hmm. the U.S. is so big. Um, like what part of the United States is it like? And basically, it's kind of like slightly inland california okay not quite la sure a little bit cooler i was gonna say say, is it kind of like here like this area no No? it's warmer okay and much sunnier so on average spain sees 300 sunny days a year wow that's nice that's actually slightly more than la and san diego get used to that yeah so that now that now that my seasonal depression is about to kick in (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, so in the summer, the temperatures in Spain are usually between 20 and 40 Celsius or that's 68 and 104 Fahrenheit. 40 Celsius is fucking hot. Well, that's like a high. Sure. But um, but we're roughly in that area in this or in that ballpark in the summer. But um, most of the but pro- it's a lot milder in the winter there. I think most of the product <laughs> I work with now, except for like one or two of them, like the standard. Um, temperature of the water before we mix anything is 50 degrees Celsius. Oh, okay. And that's fucking hot. I'm sure. <laughs> it I'm is. Sure. So 40 degrees Celsius, like uh, that's got to be, mm-hmm. those has got to be some fun days. Yeah. Like some Vegas style days. We get a couple of those. Sure. Usually we're probably going to get more with climate change. So during the summer, the beaches of Spain are especially popular, which makes sense, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. the summer, including the Tarragona province, which is where, as we previously mentioned, Los Alfaques is located. So, and it's in part of Catalonia, for reference. So okay. if you've heard any of the stuff that's been in the news lately about um, Catalonia wanting to uh, uh, declare independence in Spain... Uh, anyway Mm. that's that's a thing there's some shit going on there to put it mildly and that's all about democracy and independence but anyway so this campsite los alfaques is literally right on the water so basically it has beach access right and not just any beach access we are talking the beautiful mediterranean here is what it looks like in los alfaques we're definitely going here one day look at that water well, let's not go to Los Alfaques. Well, no, no let's... <laughs> I'm saying the Mediterranean. Mediterranean, absolutely. Oh, yeah, it's known for its beautiful blue water, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Wow. Absolutely. That's going to be the prettiest photo we're going to see today. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's going to get the, worse. <laughs> come, the worst ones are coming up. Oh, yeah. 
1978, many of those who visited Los Alfaques came from Belgium, France, the Netherlands, and West Germany. That's the bulk of the people who were there. There were some locals, sure, and some Spanish people as well. Um, but one of the reasons people were coming from from those areas to this area was the easy access to Los Alfaques and to Tarragona, Tarragona, sorry, in general was because of its highway, its national road, which is called N340. Now, I say highway because that's like a term we use in sure. the state, but basically it's it's all a major road within yeah. the country, right? Um, so N340 basically runs down the east coast of Spain from Barcelona to Cadiz, which is just a little north of Gibraltar and Morocco. And Morocco, remember, is just south of Spain, um, separated from Spain by the Strait of Gibraltar. So so this campsite, oops, I was literally about to read that entire paragraph again. <laughs> so at the time of this disaster, it's the middle of July. Uh, so it's like primo summer vacation sure. time, right? You're, you're a new democracy. Yeah. People are out to party. You're on the Mediterranean. Kids you know, are out of school. Mm-hmm. Everybody's having fun. This is a campsite, which are usually very family oriented, right? And there were people of all ages there. So families from all over, as I said, mostly other portions of Europe, they were soaking in the sun, frolicking along the Mediterranean. But unfortunately, none of them knew about the horrible thing that was about to happen. <clears throat> so at 10.15 a.m. local time on July 11th, 1978, a 51-year-old man named Francisco Ibernon Villena I also saw somewhere that he was potentially 50, but whatever. That's like splitting hairs at this point. He drove a tanker, a track, a trailer. Tanker truck. Tanker truck, whatever. Thank you. Into Enpetrol, which was a state-owned refinery in La Pobla de Mafumet. (laughs) Mafumet. Which was nine kilometer, or is sorry, nine... sorry to our Spanish listeners out there. <laughs> I'm trying. I I you did are. my R's pretty good. Yes. Uh, which is nine kilometers, or roughly five and a half miles north of Tarragona, and that was where it was to be loaded with liquid propylene. Okay. So propylene, which is also known as propene, but that can be a little um, confusing because that's really similar to propane as far as a word goes, but. We're talking about two completely different things. What we are talking about is something fucking highly flammable. Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to get that. Oh, sorry. Get to that. It is a byproduct of oil refining, and it is a gas. Well, this was liquid. But anyway, it is colorless and, surprise, highly flammable. It is commonly stored as a liquid under pressure and is... Very important as a raw material in the petrochemical industry and used for a wide variety of products. Because of its easy flammability, plenty of safety measures must be taken when dealing with propylene. So Francisco, the driver, owned the tractor part of the tractor trailer, right? So he owned his own little... He owned the cab. He owned the cab, exactly. Yeah. Which Mo- a Most lot truck of drivers do. do. Exactly. Yeah. They own their cab um, and then people hire them mm-hmm. to haul. Yep. To haul their their trailers. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, tra- I think of a cab, and I just don't think of the word tractor. It's just, <laughs> it's just weird. Anyway, so he was the father of five and the grandfather of three at the time, and he had had to work twelve years as a refrigerated truck driver transporting fish. 
to be able to save up enough money to buy his own tractor. So this was like a, a land of opportunity yeah, sort of Yeah, he's like he made it. Well, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's got his own business now. Right. Mm, things are not going Jesus. to turn out well for Francisco, poor guy. So, so he bought his own tractor. It had been manufactured by a company called Pegaso. So he was like basically an independent contractor, what we would call here in, in the U.S., and calling his own shots, but was doing work, and in this case, for a company called Cisternas Reunidas. So from what I could tell, that literally translates as something like gathered tanks, but I imagine that it's something a little more nuanced, like tanks united, or, you know, like something like that. Anyway, Cisternas Reunidas owned the actual tanker, so the, what did you want to call it? Oil truck? Yeah, tanker truck. Tanker truck. Yeah. Okay. The tanker truck that Vienna was hauling, um, and it was manufactured by a company called Fruhauf. Hauf. Fruhauf. Sorry, Masha. <laughs> this is your native tongue, and I'm clearly not doing well on that German word. Fruhauf. And had been made in 1973 in Bilbao on the northern coast of Spain. So the problem with this particular tanker in this context, was that it wasn't really built to transport flammable liquids, like, for example, propylene, because it lacked emergency pressure relief safety valves. Mm. So, and this is going to be important, these valves, these safety pressure relief valves, were essential for preventing boiling liquid expanding vapor explosions, or B-L-E-V-E is the, the... Acronym for it. Believe. Believe, yeah. Boiling liquid expanding vapor explosions. It ends with explosion, so it's not good, right? So basically, liquid under pressure can more quickly reach its boiling point. Like, pressure increases heat. So that can lead to a major explosion if in the wrong container. Like one that doesn't have a safety valve that would get triggered to relieve the pressure. That's the whole point of these pressure release valves is that, uh uh-oh, things are getting a little too pressurized here. Oh, okay, here's the safety relief valve. Now everybody's happy and there is no bleave, right? Further, this particular tanker truck, that's what you said you wanted to be called, tanker truck, had been used in the past to transport plenty of other substances, some of which were corrosive. So it had literally started eating out the interior of this tanker. So so as, as the uh, tanker truck was being loaded with the propylene, Francisco was oblivious to all of this information. Uh, he was also oblivious to the fact that the tanker his tractor was hauling was not, on, was not only being loaded, but was being overloaded. So the maximum capacity for this tank was 19.35 tons. It was loaded at this point with 23 tons of propylene. Now, this overloading was not uncommon. This and petrol site didn't have any automatic shutoff valves. What I imagine to be like when you go to a gas station here in the United States, you know, it'll automatically pop the handle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, probably something similar. Right, when when the tank is when it's full. full. Exactly, so that it doesn't result in a gas spill. So they didn't have anything like that. And further, they didn't even have any meters that read how much of the liquid was going into the tanker. So they were doing this shit blind. Sounds like work. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, it's just imperfect. No, on half the tanks that I use, the, the freaking the meters that read how much water is in there, they, they don't work. That's bullshit. Well, you gotta you gotta rely on a sight glass, which is at this point these tanks are fucking almost forty years old. They're dirty as shit, so you gotta you gotta uh, guesstimate a little bit. Is that dangerous in the context Not really. of your work? Okay. No. Well, it was dangerous here. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like you know what it, you know what these tanks hold. It's not gonna overflow, and you know, fifty degree water is gonna pour on me. But. Well, that's probably what they thought here, and I we kind of know we we've done it. So they're basically dealing with the best guess situation, which is not good. This is a state-run facility dealing with highly flammable liquids and gases. This thankfully, is a terrible I'm not, idea. Thankfully, I'm not dealing with that. I'm dealing with water and raw material. Yeah, that's yeah, it. but oh. It was so common that it was later discovered that within about the first six months or so, I think Masha said from January 3rd until this incident in 1978 alone, 33 trucks, including Francisco's, had left the end petrol site overloaded. So this was super common. Okay. So despite his 20 years of hauling experience, Francisco also didn't have any hazmat transport training. So he had, oh had nothing, no resources to draw from as to, like, knowing whether what he was doing was safe or not. Um, who needs training on, who needs that anyway? Well, Th- that, so, th- that just sounds like a regulation to me. So he had hauled fish before, right? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> we know how we feel about regulations. But um, he had been transporting fish before. There's not much. No. There's not much safety yeah, concern no. with fish. Keep it cold. That's about the only right, rule. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it doesn't end up making anybody sick or whatever. But this the this is very different from fish. But if he was like on his own, kind of like an independent contractor, it would have been up. To, if he had been employed, it would have been up to his employer to make sure he was properly trained. Right. Well, when you're well, sure, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been completely on him, right? Yeah. But when you're an independent contractor, it is on you. However, it's also on whoever hires you to be like, "Hey, have you been trained in this?" Cisternas Reunidas didn't give a shit. Also, at this point, and this is why we provide backstory, our dear listeners mm-hmm. and our new listeners. Um, at this point, Spain is a brand new democracy. Yes, they've only been a democracy for a year. So as far as regulations and things like that, it's anyone's probably, best guess. Well, they're probably at a point where we'll we'll get to that. We've got other yeah, things to figure out maybe. first. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the the freedom that he has to mm-hmm. have his own business is probably a big deal to him. Yes, because uh-huh. his entire coming of age years were spent basically in chaos. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so. pretty much. So around twelve o five p.m., Francisco set off from Enpetrol. So, he ended up taking the aforementioned N340. Remember the highway mm-hmm. that I said went ran down the coast? Like, Even, a, like an interstate, probably? Yeah. Or like a coastal hi- highway? A coastal highway, maybe yeah. a little bit more. Because there actually was a motorway, like a... It was called the, it's called the A7, is a more major highway mm. that he could have taken on his route, but didn't. And the problem is the A7 would have been a better route because the N340 is narrower. It takes a lot of like twists and turns and it runs through densely populated areas as opposed to the highway, which would be a little bit more of what I imagine we would um, picture as like an interstate or a freeway or something that's just a lot more efficient, not literally going through towns, that sort of a thing. Now, why 
he took the N340 instead of the A7 is a little bit of a topic of debate. So um, there have been accusations that uh, Cisternas Reunidas didn't want to pay him for the toll. Because it was oh, actually okay. kind of pricey. It was it was about um, 16 U.S. dollars, the equivalent of 16 U.S. dollars back then, and that was in 78. So this that's is a pricey lot of money. Toll. That's a lot of money for a toll road. It is a big, but if they're again just sort of a brand new democracy, democracy, mm-hmm. and maybe still a little state run where they can kind of dictate whatever. Sure. Um, so the the one accusation is that Cisternas Reunidas didn't want to reimburse him or didn't want to pay for this and told him to just take the N340 to save money or um, Fran- uh, not Francisco. Oh, yes. Wait, is his name Francisco? Oh my <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, his name is Francisco too. I just yeah, wanted to I was make sure. Say, yeah, I just wanted to make sure I was calling him Franco. Dictator. I know it's a common name. It's basically yeah. Frank, right? We'll so Frank. Call, we'll just call him John. We'll call him no. Frankie. No, Francisco didn't want did you like that, Catalan? Francisco. Nice. He didn't... Uh, so it's possible he also didn't want to pay the money out of his own pocket. You know, which if you're running your own business, you look for ways well, sure. to cut expenses. And if it's like, hey, I can pay... Just you. just like a big business does. Yes. Except it's more important when you're a small business. Yes. But, yes. Um, and you're also not as much of a son of a bitch as you turn into when you have a big business. So... Um, so either way, because Cisternas Reunidas would later deny that they had anything to do with that choice. So whether you believe him or not, well, I mean, yeah. who knows? At it's it's, it's semantics rate, at best. Right. At any rate, the choice was to made. take N340 was made and would literally lead to disaster. So down <laughs> the road from Francisco, around 2.30 in the afternoon that day, the Los Alfalques campsite is jumping so it's a hot day it's around 35 celsius or 95 fahrenheit so it's a hot summer day right it's the middle of the summer middle of the day and there are 800 visitors at this campsite so it's basically overcrowded right some people are eating a late lunch some people are on the beach some people are taking a nap basically like everyone's on their summer vacay so now apparently the exact cause of what happened next um, is a little unclear, but Masha went with the consensus in her research. So Sure. So as Francisco is driving down the road, the sun is beating down on the oil tanker. Oh, he's hauling, sure. right? It's freaking 95 degrees Through out. the Spanish heat, exactly. The tanker is, the tanker truck, is metal, right? So it's very efficiently transferring the heat uh, that it is absorbing into the propylene contained inside, which is increasing the pressure inside the tank, the overfilled tank, right? Uh, so, so, so right away, there's not a lot of room for that pressure exactly, to go. Exactly. There's Yes, that is exactly right. Exactly. Francisco passes the center of San Carlos de la Rapita, next to the Los Alfalcas campsite. And shortly thereafter, the increased pressure in the tank breaks the right side of one of the welds that joins the two cylindrical tank sections. Okay. So there's, it's like a weak spot, right, in the, in the welding. Well, not that it's a weak spot, but because the pressure is so bad, it finds the weakest point, which is where it's been welded, right? And the right side is on the side that is facing the campsite Jesus. that he's driving by. 
So gas vapor immediately erupts from the broken weld site and a visibly white cloud of gas drifts low to the ground because propylene is denser than air and the cloud is blown by wind towards a disco across the street. This is the 70s, right? So there's a discotheque. Even in Spain. <laughs> Even in, well, especially in Spain. <laughs> uh, Europe gave us ABBA after all. That's true. So suddenly, vacationers at the campsite, campsite here allowed bang. They look towards the noise and they see the cloud, the white cloud of gas. And they head in the direction of the gas to see what's going on. Human curiosity, what happened, what's going on. Then at 2.36 p.m., the dreaded, believe, boiling liquid expansion vapor explosion occurs. This gas cloud had been ignited. The exact ignition source is unknown, but... This is a campsite. There are campfires. Oh, sure. I was there just going to say. Yeah. There I mean, like, there's any number of All sorts of, sources. of things to spark it. Exactly. I mean, maybe even the heat alone could have done it. Pa- uh, maybe or caused a spark. Anything yeah. that would spark. The smallest thing is all yes, it takes. Yes, exactly. Um, you can't start a fire. You can't start a fire without a spark, in the words of the boss. I'm just saying that because there because is nothing about, good that's going to get bad. Yes. So when the gas cloud had reached whatever the ignition source was, the gas was ignited, which led as a trail straight back to the tanker, right? Of course. Now the fire that resulted had evaporated some of the liquid propylene in the tank, causing the liquid level in the tank to drop. And because otherwise it would just be, you know, the liquid would go up. In, a, in an explosion, but because the heat capacity of gas is much lower than liquid, the gas heated up past the boiling point of the liquid, weakening the tank walls, which were already weakened because of the previously transported corrosive materials, and that resulted in the boiling liquid expansion vapor explosion. The leave, right? Poor Francisco, or I don't know, maybe he's... One of the lucky ones. He died instantly, right? Yeah, so he was I, mean, I think he basically one of the lucky ones. casualty number one. Yeah. Um, in fact, the exact time of the explosion ended up being determined by his wristwatch, which stopped at 2.36 p.m. local time. Hmm. The shock wave. Because remember, explosions oh, sure. produce oh, shock absolutely. waves. Especially with something like this. Yes. Now, the shock wave resulting from the believe destroyed Everything, like leveled, like nuclear almost shit, within the immediate area of 300 meters or 328 yards. That's like a football field area, right? Am I right? No, no, no. 300 meters would be 900 feet. Yeah, 328 yards. Yards is all, yeah, you said 300 oh, wait. meters. Yes. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Football field is only 100 yards. <laughs> yes, it is. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> You're right. I was saying, I was, I was, so straight football field. Even your metric That's calculators massive. again. <laughs> this was just yards. <laughs> That's not even metric. <laughs> anyway, that's no, I, not I was, funny. It's just that there's nothing the... <laughs> else to find light in this. But so you're, you're right. It's a massive area. Either way, area. we're talking about the explosion was felt by people as far as a thousand feet away. That's that's not no, close. No, no, no. We're not talking about felt by. 
it leveled everything in that area. I would it was think, just gone. I would think leveled would also be felt by. No, they didn't feel it because they were just dead. Oh, Jesus. They okay. just oh. gone. Oh. Like, we're talking buildings flattened, anything metal singed, any humans I had it in my dead. mind like people got like a blowback. You no, know what I mean? Like, no. Jesus. We're talking instant death. Oh, fuck. Over a hundred people died within seconds. Like milliseconds even. Maybe they were the lucky ones too. Well, uh, we're going to keep going and we're going to find out. Like, So yes, cars, tents, trailers, buildings, people, and trigger warning animals too. Um, there's actually a bad picture of a dog. Anyway. And yeah, this was terrible. Then it got worse. As if that wasn't bad enough, right? A fireball created from the explosion. Sure began to race towards the beach, right? The temperature of this fireball was between 1,000 and 2,000 degrees. And I, Mosh didn't specify whether that was Celsius or Fahrenheit, but I suspect it was Celsius because Mm -hmm. that's her, uh, that would be her her metric system. I cannot even imagine. I know. And that immediately just melted any metal objects at the campsite. And that included propane tanks for cooking, gas tanks in cars and that led to explosion after explosion after explosion as each of those tanks exploded it's just massive it's just fucking carnage yes yes oh and we're we're gonna yeah this is yeah we're gonna keep getting into it so the explosion itself also understandably tore apart francisco's tractor right so oh yeah the tractor and the front part of the tank were propelled into the road by the explosion. And I believe I have a picture of that. None of these are good pictures. So you tell me when yeah, you want to stop. Yeah. That's the tractor, which is What's kind of shocking of that there's anything still left. This the is tanker. part of the tanker. Now let's talk about the, the, the tanker I'm there. I'm surprised there's any of it still intact. So so the a huge chunk chunk, sorry, of the back end of the tanker flew two. 100 meters, 219 yards into the roof of a building. A nine-year-old girl who witnessed this and lived to tell about it. uh, Sorry, I lost my... Okay. Said it looked like, quote, a boat upside down. Which is a really innocent way to describe that. That is kind of what it looks looks like. like That right? Mm Mm-hmm. A tank cover was later found on a tennis court in the middle of the campsite. Like... Flying projectile. I mean, not that it mattered because anyone within this range was dead anyway. Well, it mattered for where it landed. You know what I mean? Yes, but it still landed within that vicinity. But anyway, yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. What the fuck? As for the people in the wake of the Believe and the resulting explosions, it was bad. And bad is such a fucking understatement at this point. So according to an article in a publication called Paris Match about the disaster, quote, the bodies were immobilized on the spot by the cloud of fire as in Pompeii, end quote. The article also also quoted a witness who said, quote, it seemed as if a flamethrower or napalm had been blown on these caravans and tents, end quote. Now, this was 78, so we're talking not long after Vietnam, so that imagery was very evocative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Those near the center of the fireball's path were literally charred and essentially preserved in whatever position they were in, hence the comparisons to Pompeii. Sadly, these were the, quote, fortunate ones, right? Because they died quickly. Um, Those who survived the initial blast and perhaps even parts of the fireball were left in a truly torturous state. And this is part of what makes this so bad, is how much torture happened after the fact. Um, There are a lot of things that can happen to the human body that are terrible. Burns are among the the worst. worst. Yes, absolutely. I mean, because it's just... Your nerves are just your literal nerves. Your your literal physical nervous system is like being exposed, and um, at least from what I've seen of like Grey's Anatomy or whatever, anytime they're debriding those injuries and stuff, it's like the pretty much the worst pain you can go through. It's just just horrific. Um, so I'm gonna quote Masha here. Ugh, sorry, this is gonna get bad. Quote: Those who survive the blast blast stumble around their skin hanging down in tatters. Some have molten plastic objects stuck to their bodies, end quote. Um, We'll get into this later, but there were several comparisons to people looking like literal zombies, like flesh hanging off. Like, this was bad. That's that's exactly what went through my mind. Bad. And and that's the thing. How many times do we say, oh, well, at least it was fast? This is is torture. This is absolute torture. The disco across the street from the site was destroyed by the shock wave. Now, fortunately, unfortunately, so fortunately it was the middle of the day. Nobody was in the disco, right? Because that's a nightclub, basically. Unfortunately, the owner and members of his family, so four adults and two kids, were inside cleaning and were killed instantly. Mm. So now we're going to get into the eyewitness accounts. This will get so much worse before it gets better. And it doesn't really get better, so... Uh, uh. So, one eyewitness, a man named Carl, visiting from Munich, told a newspaper, quote, I saw children playing in front of me on the beach. Suddenly, I heard a loud bang. Everything was burning. Then there was a second explosion. The shockwave was so violent that everything around me was blown away. Bottles, stones, furniture were gone. The children I had seen a moment earlier had disappeared. I instinctively took one or two pictures. Then, panicked, I ran to get my wife and kids. We fled by car. We later learned that even the bathers who took refuge in the water had burned. God. A couple in their early 20s from France named Sabine and Elaine were on the beach with their six-month-old son, Christophe, and Elaine's parents, Alfred and Emma, and they were about to go for a swim. Alfred saw the wave of fire rolling toward them, and this guy, he, he thought damn fast like he wasn't even thinking like this was just his reaction he grabbed the baby and rushed into the water Hmm. like that talk about quick fucking thinking right um now sabine the the baby's mom like had no clue what he was doing like she didn't see the fire so she just like what the fuck and ran after him dove into the water after them um alfred was also able to grab elaine his son, and throw him into the water, but he was unable to reach his wife, Emma. So Emma died in the blast, but the others survived. 
as a result of Elaine's quick actions. Sabine suffered from critical burns, which means more than 40% of her body Mm. surface, which is... Elaine had 30% surface burns. um, And the baby did have some burns to his feet and on one hand, but otherwise was okay. And the article Masha read didn't mention any of Alfred's injuries, though he did survive. A 24-year-old woman named Edith from Germany was staying at a like the apartment buildings mm-hmm. that I mentioned at Los Alfacas. And here's her account. Quote, Suddenly there was a terrible bang and everything was shaking. I went outside and first to the street that passed the campsite. There I saw smoke. I walked to the beach side when someone came running towards me shouting, Run! Get away! Everything will blow up. And then the shockwave with hot air came over me. It was invisible. It is said to have been about a thousand degrees hot. Yes, and my life flashed before my eyes. I thought, that was it for you. At the same time, I ran toward the beach and let myself fall into the water. I don't know how long I stayed in there. When I came out, I saw the shreds of skin were hanging off of me. Due to the shock, I wasn't in pain and only realized from the reactions of my friends that I had to look bad. End quote. A man named Jose was there with his wife and his 14-year-old son, Robert. And this is his story. Quote, We were sitting on the terrace in front of our cabin at the Los Alfalcas campsite. It was shortly after one. We had just had lunch. A little later, we wanted to help a family friend with setting up a tent. Otherwise, we would have gone to play tennis. That would have been bad. End quote. So remember, the tanker ended up like in the middle of the tennis court. Jose's son, Robert, walked down the beach after lunch. He was looking for animals on the beach. He was interested in marine biology and animals in the water. And when he was about a kilometer away, a little more than half a mile away, he was like, okay, let me turn back, head back to the cabin. When Jose first heard the explosion, he thought of the rock quarries in the area. He's like, oh, it must just be an explosion from the rock quarry, because that's pretty standard, right? Then he said, quote, Everything is shaking. A tremendous shock. And then I see this fireball race over the tent city. End quote. So his immediate reaction was actually, seems a little odd. He shouted to his wife, take the passports. And he explained, like, so he explained this was because of his experience with Franco's regime. Right? Like, shit goes down, like, get your papers and get the fuck out of here. Right? So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it really does. Something Something very negative just happened. Mm-hmm. Let's have our passports on us in case mm-hmm. we need to get the fuck out exactly. or whatever. Exactly. So they ran down to the beach, and that's when Jose was oh, like, no. shit, where is Robert? Where's our kid? Robert was standing by the water, like stunned. He said, quote, there was a woman on the beach. A few minutes ago when I passed her on the way there, she was sunbathing. Now she lay burnt in a deck chair, end quote. And he kept walking, like, just in a state of shock, even though, like, there was all sorts of debris and shrapnel on the on the beach, so his feet were getting all torn up. He was just in shock. He couldn't feel it. People walked towards him, uh, missing hair, flesh hanging off them. Some sat quietly. Others went into the water. Robert said, quote, they looked like zombies, like in the film, unquote. 
Jose was also in shock, so he he tried to help one acquaintance who's actually trying to salvage his tent. And Jose would later say, quote, think about it. People are dying and we are tugging at a tent. I left it at that and covered my friend's little daughter's eyes so that she wouldn't see the dying, end quote. But again, anyone's reactions at this point are just absolute, like, you cannot blame anyone for how they react because this is literally just absolute shock. Meanwhile, Robert went into the water and swam around the fire. He was almost run over by a motorboat. Can you imagine the the horrific irony of that? But fortunately, he managed to swim a good 500 meters or 547 yards and able to go ashore. He said a stranger literally just handed him a glass of cognac. Now, I am against underage drinking, but a 14-year-old who just went through this shit... Drink the fucking yeah. cognac. He's you not going to feel it anyway. And he did. He just drank it without question. Great. You need to check out at this point. Your brain's already checking out for you. So let some of your yeah, body... Help it, help like, it along a little exactly. bit. Exactly. I have no problem with that. Now, obviously, Robert and Jose's recolle- recollections would be fuzzy because of what they had experienced. But the next thing Robert knew, his dad was there. So Jose was able to find him. And he said, quote... First thing he did was slap me in the face, <laughs> end quote. And Jose corroborated this, saying, quote, I was beside myself with fear, end quote. Again, irrational reactions because your brain's just shutting off. Just, just no clue what to do. And then they hugged and cried. A journalist named Jose Angel Odena, who wrote for the newspaper Diario Español, was on vacation in the area. He went to the campsite. Now, he was not at the campsite at the time of the explosions. Sure. But he went there because... He was because, nearby. Right. He Seems. went there because foreign friends had heard the sounds of the explosions and were worried about their mutual acquaintances who were at the site. And they hoped that as a journalist, Jose Angel could provide them with information more easily. Though, of course, the entire site was just chaos. So, we're going to we're gonna start moving through some images. You tell me when to stop, okay? All right. All right. So... This is this is actually a little slightly out of sequence, but these are some remains, which Jesus yeah, Christ, you can see nothing left. It looks like char. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they, these don't contain any bodies. These are just pictures of the campsite. And I like they were uh, drinking Heineken. I know they were Germans to the core, right? Um, Jesus, look at this fucking... That That was a... Yeah. Wow. And something Masha commented on was the fact that there would be like a spot where everything was singed and then right next to it, things that weren't, weren't even touched. Yeah, that's true. Like Especially this table. with that. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, I think that's probably why that person took that photo. If this, yeah. ta- if this table is literally like a couple feet to the mm-hmm. left, mm-hmm. there's nothing left of it either. Yeah. I mean, it just wow. looks like an atomic bomb went off. At well, it looks, like, it looks like the area got naped. Yes, na- I mean, it does. It does look very much like napalm. This is what it did to buildings. Here's a picture of a building. Just, it looks just like an earthquake. Freaking, yeah. It looks like a horrific earthquake. Just yeah. rubble, absolute rubble. Okay, two more pictures, and they're gonna get kind of disturbing. So you tell me if this one's too much, and then I won't show you the nah, other I think one. It'll be all right. Their hands mm. reaching because they're petrified, right? I'm kind of reaching from what. Um, the rubble that fell on them. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then this one is small, so it's a little grainy. Yeah, that's kind of what I had in mind. It was like, it it looks very similar to Pompeii, right? Mm -hmm. It it really does. It it really does, so. Yeah, let's flip those over. We'll flip flip them over, yeah. (laughs) 
So it took about 45 minutes for the first rescue workers to arrive at Los Alfaques. Uh, The scene was marked by chaos for at least the first hour. Other tourists and local residents did their best to help the injured. Some used their own cars to transport patients to nearby hospitals. So that's fantastic. Again, very similar to Grenfell, right? Like average people when faced with horrific tragedy are actually very heartfelt and good at reaching out. More often than not, step up. Mm-hmm. I think it's just absolutely. I think it's just human nature. And a good side of human nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the rescue efforts were really disorganized, so there was no triage or anything. And the rescue was further complicated by the fact that the burning truck was still blocking the road. Oh, well, and right? and they're probably all still worried. Like, what if there's going to be another? And is there anything else that's going to, yeah, explode here? Exactly. And exactly. I'm, oh, wow. So because of the truck blocking the road, they had to kind of funnel patients either to the north or the south. To get to hospitals. And you can't just move a tractor trailer. No, a burning one. Yeah, that... uh, With propylene still around. No, not at all. Exactly. So because of that, because the blocking of the road, how chaotic the scene was, there were so many victims and not enough ambulances, it took three solid hours to get everybody who was injured out of that campsite. Now, those who had been taken to the hospitals wow. in the north were taken to hospitals in the towns of Amposta and Tortosa, where they received medical care. 58 severely burned patients were taken to the Francisco Franco Hospital, which is under a different name now because it's part of the Val de Hebron University Hospital in Barcelona. So they had a burn unit, and it had 31 beds. So even though there were more than 31 severely burned people, they... they hauled him up to Barcelona. 82 severely burned patients on the south side were taken to La Fe Hospital in Valencia, which has a burn, had a burn unit with 14 beds. Unfortunately, those on the south side didn't receive the same level of care as those on the north, so several went into shock during mm. transport and were basically dead on arrival at the hospital, unfortunately. So 158 people, including the driver, Francisco, died at the campsite. Others died either on their way to the hospital or as a result of their injuries in the hospital, leading to a total of 217 dead. Now, there's a slight discrepancy. The official Spanish government's death toll is 215, but the most often cited is 217. Not sure of the reason of this discrepancy. More than 400 people were injured. Uh, And injured badly. uh, Often very badly. And many with long-lasting health consequences. Not to mention the people who maybe were not physically injured, but again, like we've talked about a lot recently, major Traumatically injured. Absolutely. The fire just destroyed an area of about 300 by 150 meters, which is 328 by 164 And you yards. also have to put in the context, this is a, a campsite, campground, mm-hmm. where people are having fun. Everybody's in the water, having barbecues. This is good times. And there's a discotheque right across the street. There's a club. And it's fucking, and then all of a sudden, it looks it's like gone. somebody dropped a fucking bomb on it. It's gone. Because essentially, somebody kind of had, not on purpose, right. but... an accident resulted in the same the consequences. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, it's making me think of, I mean, mm-hmm. I went camping all the time growing up. Yeah. That's that's what it's making me think of. It's like what if all of a sudden like a fucking 
oil tank, like a explodes, tractor trailer. Yeah, like in front of me. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden you're, fuck, yeah, fuck this. It's it's awful. It's awful. So about two thirds of the entire Los Alfalcas site was just leveled. Just destroyed. It's making me wish that when I was on those campgrounds that we did have a discotheque. <laughs> or remember, it's on the beach. It's not, it, like, it's on a coast. There should Why? be a floating discotheque. <laughs> I don't think it was floating. No, I'm saying there should be. Okay. Everywhere in the world. Everywhere in the world. A floating discotheque. Okay. We'll put a note in for that. How much fun would that be? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying. I I can't. I know. It's awful. I'm going through fucking PTSD right now. Like, I can't think about this. I told you. How many times did I tell you You this? You did tell me like 10 times. This is bad. This might be one of the worst ones that we've done just for human suffering. Yeah. That's the worst part. So when news first broke of this disaster, the death toll was, of course, initially understated. It almost always is, right? And and really hard to ascertain for a while. Well, you can't do it really on the scene. Exactly. It takes, takes some time. Exactly. So those listening to the news on the radio really had no idea how bad this actually was initially. They got it really quickly on the news. Um and unfortunately, that led to unedited raw footage oh, airing oh. on TV in Spain and West Germany. That included some really gruesome images, including bodies, like on the news. And, but, and they were just trying to get it out. And Understandably. But in, in context, a lot of people had seen that anyway. And certainly if you're a 40 or 50-year-old. Yeah, if you're 40 or 50 years old, you went through a, a literally a civil yeah, war. Yeah, but your kids are watching. Like, well, your kids didn't. You? So it led to a lot of complaints from viewers. Like, holy shit, yeah. what did my kids just see, you know? Some newspapers in Europe also published, published images the next day, and that also led to lots of complaints. Burn victims in the hospitals were returned to their home countries for further treatment as soon as they were stable enough, right, to be able to be transported identifying people who had died was yes. really Fuck, hard good luck so think about it you're at a campsite people the beach. are just everywhere everywhere yeah not carrying your id with no. you you're wearing your bathing suit yeah. you're not gonna be like you could be you know, your id shoved in your swim trunks your lot could be in a certain place but you could be five or six lots exactly. down hanging out with just somebody else exactly other, you know. yeah. so it was really hard plus this is 1978 dna testing wasn't a thing oh they're they're straight they're going off teeth Te- yeah basically yeah. right and who's missing people yeah that too yeah and especially because they were tourists i imagine it was that oh, well, may that have made too. it slightly easier to say, like, "Hey, my my loved one was at that site." But that's now the other I, thing. Missing. Not a ton of natives, so right? You can't Locals, be like, you, you can't, can't be like, "I didn't see Bob today." Like, right? You you would have to rely on missing persons reports from other countries, Jesus. basically. So yeah, yeah. I never thought of that aspect, yeah. but yeah, that's talk about a mess. The Identification Commission of the Criminal Investigation Department of the Federal Republic of Germany, so Germany helped out, offered their assistance in identification, and eventually, and pretty awesomely, all of the disaster victims were identified. Really? Everyone was positively identified, yes. The bodies... (laughs) About the worst silver lining in the history of silver linings, but... Well, Masha does end with some slight up 
beat notes. So the bodies, so everyone was returned to their home countries, except for one family of three from Colombia. I, I don't know why they weren't returned other than maybe it was just expensive, prohibitively expensive. So they were buried along with all of the locals in a cemetery in Tortosa. So there was a lawsuit, of course. In 1982, and four employees of Enpetrol and two employees of Cisternas Reunidas were found guilty of criminal negligence, which is imprudencia temeraria. Sounds more. Thank you. It sounds more dramatic. I know. I just, I don't, uh, yeah. They received prison sentences between one and four years. Uh, Four were released on appeal. The two employees responsible for loading the tanker container were each sentenced to one year in prison. This is because of it's another systemic thing. It's hard to feel like that's I don't and, anything is going to be much justice. Well, and the other thing too is I don't necessarily knew if these people were necessarily knew that they were even doing anything yeah. wrong. I mean, there's no yeah, you know. Was I mean, there uh, really anyone to hold responsible, or did uh, they, this, or did they even know? Like, like it's I, I don't know. I, I understand you had to hold somebody to account, but I think the person that you. I don't know. That's a, that's a, you go a after, tricky one. Hey, fix this shit. Yeah, that's what you go after. You say, get make this never happen again. Get those fucking um, uh, meters and safety valves, well, yes. and just be better with your regulation. Yeah, like that's really the only thing you can do, right? Well, in civil proceedings, Cisternas Reunidas and then Petrol were ordered to pay damages totaling two point two billion pesetas, which is approximately. Not adjust, not adjusted for inflation, 13.23 million euros or about almost 15 million dollars. That's, that's a lot of money. And that's not adjusted for inflation. Now, this was all, understandably, considered insufficient by most survivors and families of those who lost loved ones in disasters. But there's really nothing that well, is because, sufficient. Well, there isn't. But plus, um, burn care victims need mm. treatment literally mm. for the rest of their fucking lives. Yes. And I'm guessing that treatment is not cheap. I would not think so. Although, at least we're dealing with maybe countries that had nationalized health care. But anyway. What? <sighs> we don't know what that is What's like. That? The disaster did fortunately lead to stricter regulations on the handling and uh, transport of hazardous substances in Spain. So, yay! That sounds like communism. No. Socialism. (laughs) And Maoism and Stalinism and all the isms that you can think of. Vote for Bernie. No, vote for Michael Bloomberg. He really oh, needs your good support. Oh, fucking God. What a fucking joke of a human being to re- be running for president. This is going to be hysterical. I- I'm glad he's in the race. So as a result of the accident, the transport of dangerous goods through small towns and villages is now prohibited. Well, that makes Spain. sense, too. Yes, it absolutely, absolutely. does. It, it, it Stick does. Stick to the highways where there's really nothing. Mm-hmm. If something like this does occur... It's on a more open right, and you're road. you're only really gonna affect. Hopefully, it's just gonna be the traffic around right, you, right. but it's, it's not, not good, going to be. But it's, it's not gonna be a township. It's not gonna be a camping ground. It's not gonna be populated part of a with city. hundreds of people. Yeah. Yeah. Over time, tankers have been adjusted with additional insulation to protect contents from external heat to reduce sure. the possibility of a blow. Oh, and, and we're also talking 1978. Yes. The technology right. for this You're has right. come mm-hmm. uh, I'm leaps sure. and bounds. I'm sure. So Los Alzaques is still around. It's currently functioning. 
And it is known currently, as previously mentioned, as Al Fox. So obviously the site had to be cleaned up, (laughs) to say the least, and rebuilt and completely restored. And that restoration basically started like immediately. It's a business. I get it. You you, you need to. Plus you want to. Want to move it's on. a fucking gravesite is essentially what it is. Yes. And, you wanna... and, and uh, like the business owners, the, the people who own the campsite, they were not at fault for this. So you can see them wanting yeah. to be like, fucking get this cleaned well, up. Because they don't want to see we it either. We need to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Even I, I'm even talking from like a super oh, sure. cool business perspective. But you're right. Even just from a human perspective, like, please, we, we don't need to be around this. Let's plant some trees. Let's uh, turn over some. Well, the restoration uh, yeah, included Jesus. like an almost foot high layer of new soil. So like they basically yes. like, let's just bury this shit. Yeah, That's, that makes sense. It does. Within six months, it looked like nothing had ever happened. Like they got this done fast. In a sense, good. And you know what? By the summer of 79 was all hopping again probably but i mean you are talking about europeans who have a especially back then who had a very (sighs) different view of tragedy yes they did they had already seen some shit like you said and so this was horrible and i'm not saying that they didn't think this was horrible it was just i do think that people in europe especially back then but but in general maybe have a very different view of horror than we do because, we're, frankly, just because the world wars were not fought on our soil. Here's what I'll say, is they have, they have the capacity to move on. Keep calm and carry on. Right, and not them. really change their governmental structure, not change... Well, but their governmental know. structures in their countries have been around so much longer. And are kind of used to constant, but they, they know to yeah. kind of, okay, let's put our head down and move forward. Gotta move on, yeah. Maybe that's not always the best thing, but we're, well, anyway. Here in America, we're a little precious about things. Yes, we are. We're, we're a little bit of a the, the little uh, delicate yeah. flowers mm-hmm. of the world, as far as our own personal... And that was proven... Uh, Sadly, almost 19 years, or eight, just over 18 years ago. Oh, September 11th. Yeah. Everything changed. Even our governmental structure changed after yeah, that. you're not wrong. So. Okay, I'm going to finish this. Anyway. We're almost we're, done. We always make it about us. We're almost done. And I'm, um, I am almost done with this mirror. That same that asshole. Damn, that was a damn good beer, though. It is good. That same asshole said that uh, we were sometimes audibly drunk. Yep. And I, to that, I will say, Absolutely. you try reading about this shit and staying sober. <laughs> yes. Have fun with that and, and we, your PTSD. I was going to say, you slightly researched this because you had to you know, well, do some I, stuff I on your own. Well, I just sort of put this in my own voice a little but, bit. Uh, so try going through one of these and researching it for seven or eight hours and thinking about nothing. And then thinking about, okay, how am I going to structure this? Yep. And then you drink while you read it. Yeah. Because that's the only way to survive it. Because that's how it happens. Yeah. Jesus. So, uh, the current owner, Mario Gianni, was present at the disaster when he was nine. Mm. He's a little boy. He said, quote, nothing happened to anyone in my family, although they did lose several friends. But it was a blow, especially for my parents and my uncles who were responsible for the campsite, end quote. So I'm guessing that this is a family business, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So today, things run at Al Fox basically as if nothing had happened 41 years ago, which, okay, fair enough, you know. In 2012, the campsite owners filed a lawsuit against Google under the newly approved Right to be Forgotten 
Act. This is interesting. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this is something that's kind of peculiar mostly to Europe. Okay. But it's basically meant to provide a way for individuals, and I imagine businesses, to like make sure that a, one bad thing that happens doesn't affect the rest of their lives or the rest of their businesses sure. moving forward. Well, so, especially because this is a complete accident. Yeah, this was there's, not there's their... Not, yeah. They didn't... They, the, there's nothing sinister Los involved Los literally didn't do anything wrong. Right. Neither did the... Is there a well, little bit of blame to go around? Uh, yes. Not for the campsite, though. No, but... The campsite but, was literally had no, no blame No, but overall, is there given. a little bit of blame that this happened, that the explosion happened? Yeah, but even those people are, in my eyes, in any way, somewhat innocent. I, like, I'm it's with just, you. It's even just an accident. It was a systemic issue, and yes. it, they did buckle down on it. Right. Like, uh, it was a weakness in They had a positive the reaction to it. Yes, they did, yeah. But, um, so they were like, look... When people Google Al Fox, this is what comes up. Like these these images, yeah, like Masha Warren, are what come up. So they were like, look, we have the right for this to be like scrubbed because this at least is the first results that come up. Because this it, is or at damaging. Least, or at least if you want to look this up, you have to be specific. Like you have to dig a little bit more. Well, yeah, just be specific. Like say Los Alfaques instead of Explosion. Los Alfaques. Or Alfax or, yeah. Uh-huh. You know. Well, but anyway, they actually lost that claim twice. It was dismissed twice because they were filing suit in Spanish courts against Google Spain. Okay. But really, it was American Google that was responsible. And so they would have to go after American Google, which, A, is a pretty good, good luck with goddamn that. big company. And, and B, um, you're talking about European laws in there in America. So anyway, that has not happened. Now, there was a German made-for-TV two-part movie in 2007 on the disaster called Tarragona. Paradise. Oh, sorry, this is in German. Uh, I was just going to say, that sounded very, very too pretty for German. Tachagona. So, sorry, uh, Germans out there. I, I don't speak German. I don't even know the the, the accent for it. Paladis in Flamen. Paladis in Flamen. I don't know why I have to sound angry when I speak pretend German. Because it means it's a very, uh, Paradise in Flames, oh, okay. I would imagine. But the English title was actually... Because disaster. The German language just has a suddenness Eesh. to it. I, yeah. I'm sorry, Masha. That's so mean for me to be doing. And your mother tongue is beautiful. That also sounded a little <laughs> yes. perverted. Okay. I'm let's, just saying let's, let's German on. language is beautiful. Okay. Let's wrap so, this up. <laughs> according to Masha, just putting Tarragona into Amazon will get you ahead on the DVD. So if you want to get this movie, you can on Amazon. Oh, okay. But it's in German. Just so if you speak German. English subtitles. <laughs> she said, this is really funny. She said, quote, I can hardly wait for Amazon's proposal mails after this search. And go, <laughs> <laughs> the Amazon suggests for you. <laughs> so reviews said the movie was good about how it captured the atmosphere of the late 70s, but was highly inaccurate in the details of the disaster itself and overly dramatic. Imagine. Yeah. David. So Masha suggested ending on a positive note. Yes, as positive please. as it can be, and I concur. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So here are a couple aftermath stories about some of the eyewitnesses we previously mentioned. So remember the woman named Edith who was staying in the apartment buildings? Yes, who, so, was, who kind of wandered around afterwards. Yeah, so yeah. I neglected to mention the reason she was in the apartment buildings while our friends were outside was because she had a sun allergy. 
Oh, okay. So poor lady, like, is like, okay, I'm on the beach, but I have to stay inside. But it actually ended up helping her out, probably. Anyway, she suffered burns still. Oh, it covered yeah. 50% of her body. She had to be taken by bus from the site to Valencia, where she had to spend four months in intensive care, wow. undergo 20 surgeries. And while her physical care was excellent, like, she was well looked after after... No one really tended to her physical, or sorry, her psychological trauma, right? Uh, So she began suffering cardiac arrhythmia, so irregular heartbeats, nearly 25 years later as a result of PTSD. So she was suffering from basically panic attacks and physical manifestations of her trauma. So she underwent trauma therapy. And she said, quote, had I known beforehand how positive it would be for me, I'd have had therapy much sooner. End quote. So fortunately, she did eventually receive the mental health care she needed and was able to sort of move on from it, even though it took a while. Now, Jose, the guy who had been there with his teenage son, Robert, mm-hmm. he helped many of the victims on site. He said, quote, of course, I was able to make myself useful as an interpreter for the night. We let people who had lost everything stay with us, end quote, which is really nice. That's very nice. While most people left the next morning, Jose and his family stayed. He said, quote, the children wanted to stay. I don't know why this happened, but today I think it was good. We saw how it went on. We followed the path to normality step by step. And seriously, we also quietly celebrated that we had all survived. End quote. Oh, Which sure. You can understand. I mean, yeah. I understand that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I don't either. The family was able to carry on with their lives in relative normalcy. And Jose retired in 2004. And he's a grandpa today. So kept going on. Robert, the 14-year-old, pursued his early passion for marine life and is the manager of the Sea Life Aquarium in Oberhausen, Germany. Oh, nice. Isn't that sweet? Yes. And that's a nice little sweet ending to the horrific tragedy of Los Alfacas. Thank you, Masha. That was horrifically... Literally, for the last... uh, You know, wonderfully done. 45 minutes. All I've been thinking about, there was a spot we used to go to uh, in the Adirondacks um, called... It was called uh, Fish Creek. Okay. Or as my dad would say, Fish Creek. Does does he say (laughs) Creek? Yes, he does. (laughs) That seems like a southern thing. And he says route over root. (laughs) I say route sometimes, too. Sure. But it it was the best spot... Every uh, campsite had electrical, which means you could you oh know, nice yeah plug in. Every campsite was on the water. Um, you know, our dad had boats. We water skied. Well, the video I showed you, yes. of my dad, my dad's fiftieth birthday. Was that a fish creek? It was. Okay. Yeah, that's where we where were. Where he pushed. Uh, who was it, Jimmy? Romeo? My friend Jimmy into the Jimmy? water. When Should he... I take that out? That's fine. Okay, Jimmy will never. <laughs> he probably won't listen. To people, this, but anyway. people will probably not even believe that's his real name. <laughs> But it is. Um, but yes, that's where he... Your, your dad was so mean on his 50th birthday, he pushed poor little Jimmy. No, he was having fun. He, he was enjoying himself. But that was Well, your hilarious. dad was, but... But all that's making me think of is being there. Because mm-hmm. I was... Uh, we stopped going there when I was like 15. Mm-hmm. But all that's making me think of is being there. And what if all of a sudden, uh, just out of nowhere... That is what happened to hundreds of people. A fucking explosion happens and... Not just an explosion, just, like like you said, like basically napalm, right? And like like the witness accounts were like shockwave, devastation, yeah. just. That's all I've been thinking of yeah. for like 
yeah, most that's called empathy, and it's a good thing. It's just horrific sometimes when horrific. I, I things could are not happening. imagine. I know because all the the like the picture of the burning trailers and stuff that you show me, it's like it's like yeah, that's what a campground yeah. looks like, it's, yeah. but it's not supposed to be on fire. No, it's not supposed to be charred out. No, yeah. Jesus. I know that this this is a truly yeah, this is a bad one, and um, we might need another miracle set already. <laughs> already. Am I just getting soft? I think we both are, but, Man. That's, but that's okay. Either I'm getting soft or I'm just getting to the end of this rich girl vibrant song. Well, uh, we already decided yesterday or the day before that come late January, early February, we Ooh, will. Yes, we have a fun. We're not, we're not going to tease it, but it will be an anniversary. Yes. At the end of. I said fun. What? I said it would be fun. So we'll tease that. We'll tease that it'll be fun. I was talking well, that about that it's not the... a disaster. Right. Well, I was oh, okay. I was meaning not tease the specific incident. Oh, no, we won't. But we will be doing a miracle sode again. Well, maybe next week. Oh, we might need to. <laughs> but cer- certainly uh, at the end of January, early February 2020. I don't know how that happened. 2020. We are With literally... Diane Sawyer. We are just about to wrap up the second decade of this new millennium. Jesus Christ. I remember thinking like, oh, the year 2000, and now it was 20 years ago. You never, and here's the weird, I've had that conversation with, with people, you never thought past yes, the year it was 2000. Just like a, well, and some you people really thought didn't. we wouldn't make it past the year right. 2000. I mean, in the only sense you saw Mayan past it was, like Y2K. A, right, it was like a sci-fi movie, mm-hmm. but like in actual life, like it was just like, okay, we'll get there, and then what happens next? Nobody really... <laughs> and we have listeners who don't remember the year 2000 because they were too little. That's true. They were That's itty bitty really fucking weird. They were bebes, as Moira Rose would say. I'm sorry, I'm getting delirious because of the eight and a half percenter and because we need to balance out what just happened. Yeah, that too. So. <sighs> yeah. That was. Oh, I, you I, get to pronounce that. Yeah, you get try. to pronounce it. Hold Where on, let it? me find you the title it's page. It's not one of those. Please, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. pictures. Too many pictures. Hold on. Where the fuck is the title? I don't know. <laughs> okay, can I say it and then you repeat it after? Sure. Los Alfaques. Los Alfaques. That was the tragedy? Oh, well, the, the, the story. Explosion? The explosion? The belief, right? Well, B-L-E-V-E? No, I don't want to use that. That was the tragedy yes. of El Facus. <laughs> what is it? Los Alfacas. That one. It's the tragedy of Los Alfacas. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.